things in the words of Jesus that we have recorded here that I believe it's going to speak to us so powerfully. And so I don't want to skip over any of that. So just hang with us as we're at the text because that's going to be the bulk of the sermon. And then I'm going to have three short points afterwards. Um, and we're just going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life. Uh, and the points are Jesus, uh, the bread that he gives us, uh, the bread that he is, and the bread that we work for. And uh, my goal and my aim today is for us to be able to trust Jesus more in the situations we're uncomfortable with in our lives. Um, and it's also for us to be able to really worship and see how he satisfies our greatest need and the hunger of our souls. And, and, and finally, to encourage us to spend our time and our energy and our focus on things that last for eternity, not just on things that are going to be gone a few years from now or even tomorrow, um, as you'll see in the example here. All right, with that being said, you guys ready to go? All right, we're going to start John chapter 6. It's going to be up here as well. Um, starting with verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. That's probably referring to chapter 2 when he had healed people who were sick. Should I use this one? Okay. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat with his disciples. So a great crowd is following him. He goes on a mountainside, sits with his disciples. Verse 4, the Jewish Passover feast was near. How many know what the Passover is celebrating? Yeah, okay. Anyone want to blurt out just something? Right, right. And this is a big, huge part of, so I'm tossing my notes around here. The, uh, this is a huge part of the Israelites of Jesus' day, their worship ceremony, and they celebrate it every year with a feast called the Passover, and they're celebrating when they were in slavery in Egypt. Their whole nation was enslaved to Egypt, and God brought them out through miraculous signs and wonders, and they cross over uh, the sea on dry land, and then they are in the wilderness— and uh, still need God's provision, and we'll see more of that here in a minute. But I just want you to note that the Passover is near in this chapter. Next verse. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, that's one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus knows what he's doing. Let's take note of that because that's going to play a big part in this whole chapter. Jesus already had in his mind what he's going to do. If you read the message there, it says he asked Philip this question to stretch his faith because he already had in mind what he's going to do. So there's a great crowd of people. How are we, where are we going to buy bread for them, Philip? Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of money. Eight months' wages. It doesn't say whether they had that money or they didn't, but Philip's answer is basically, that's too much. We can't buy enough bread 
for that many people, this is impossible. Next verse. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So Andrew, another of Jesus' followers, has a little bit of a different approach. He's not saying what we don't have, but he's saying, well, here's what we do have, one boy's lunch. I don't think it'll go very far, Jesus. So Jesus, undeterred in verse 10, says, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So there may have been more than 5,000 people. It probably was. Then Jesus took the loaves, the bread, and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Verse 12, And when they had all, over 5,000, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled, look at this, 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How many are familiar with this miracle? All right. We've heard about it a lot. And, and the, the passage today is going to reference a bunch of miracles. And if you're kind of a Sunday school kid and you grew up in that or you grew up in the church, it's going to be kind of familiar. But maybe you're here and you're like, I don't really know what I feel about that. And I would just challenge you, if that's where you are, to, to really listen to the words of Jesus and his work in there and let that speak to you. Um, but what we see here is nothing short of a miracle. They start with five small loaves. And then 5,000 eat. And then they have leftovers. And there's 12 baskets. There's more in the leftovers than what they started with. When Jesus gets his hands on that bread. After the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So they see the miraculous sign. In the book of John, there's seven miraculous signs that Jesus does. This is the fourth one. And they see the sign. And each sign has something to do with Jesus revealing more of who he is, more of his identity. So they see him and they say, well, surely he's the one that's supposed to come. But they have in their minds the one that's supposed to come is going to be king, and so let's make him king right now. Jesus is not going to submit himself to those expectations, but he's still got something in store. All right, we're going to skip to uh, verse 25. You guys hanging in there? All right, cool, because it's just getting good. It's just getting good. Verse 25, we've skipped what we have skipped, if you want to go back and read it later, is the story of Jesus walking on water. And basically what they do is they cross, the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus crosses as well. And the people that had seen him do this miracle wake up in the morning, and they're like, where's Jesus? We got to go find him. And so they actually, cro they cr much of them, a lot of them crowd onto boats and go across the Sea of Galilee to the next town where they suppose that he is, and they find him, and this is what happens. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, 
Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, his name for himself, will give you. God the Father has placed his seal on him, his seal of approval on him. So they come and follow Jesus, and he tells them, you're not following me because you saw the miraculous signs, and, and you're not following me because you know who I am. You're following me because I did a miracle, and you got a free meal. Don't work so hard to cross a sea for that food, because I've got something better for you. Food that endures to eternal life. Okay, so their interest is piqued. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Because he told them to work for this food. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Don't lie, steal, or chill. Wait, cheat or steal? (laughs) Don't argue with your spouse. Don't get angry at your kids. Be a good person. Give at least 10% to the church and to the kingdom. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And here's the thing. Jesus did say those things, and none of those things are bad. But when they ask, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, and I love this, what miraculous sign then will you give so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? These people that just saw this yesterday, right? What will you do? You're saying that we need to believe on you, and that's what God requires? Well, what will you do so that you prove it? I mean, when we look back to our history, I'm paraphrasing there, but they say, Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. How many know what manna is? What are they referring to there? Are you guys familiar with that? Okay, so, uh, and it's related to the story of the Passover. When the original Passover happened and Israel came out of Egypt and they follow God, they're drawn out to become his people and his nation and they're drawn by miraculous signs and wonders and they get out to the desert and they don't have food. 600,000 to 2 million people in the wilderness with no food. And they're complaining and grumbling and saying, Moses, did you bring us out here? We should have just stayed in Egypt. Did you bring us out to the desert to die? Right? And then how does God answer their need in the desert? He sends manna. If you read Exodus, he sends manna from heaven. And the translation of manna means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. But they knew that they could eat it. And, they, and God gave instructions through Moses that they could eat it and gather it each day and that it would sustain their family while they were in the wilderness. So they are referring back to this time that's around the same, it's around the same Passover that they're celebrating. And they say, what are you going to do? Because here's what Moses did. Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses 
who has given you bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He. The bread of God is a person. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Their interest is really piqued, and they say, Sir, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And there's a whole lot of scriptures here, but I just want to get to a few more, right? Before, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but uh, verse 40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. And then again, verse 47, he starts out saying again, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. that Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven to give life to the world. There's so much here. And to be honest, I... I didn't feel like I could just talk about the miracle of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000 without talking about the completion of what it means when Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. And so I just have three points today. Um, to kind of clarify or put a bookend on, on some of what Jesus is saying, and hopefully this will encourage you today. But the first point I want to talk about is the bread that he gives. And looking at the first 15 verses, when we're seeing this miracle of, of Jesus sitting on a mountainside with his 12 disciples and just throngs of people come up, there's an impossible situation that he poses to Philip and Andrew, to his followers. And I think what I can tell you confidently, something that can encourage you from this passage, is I don't know the situation that you're in, but you don't have to be discouraged by your situation. You don't have to be, when you're following Jesus, you don't have to be discouraged by your situation because he already has in mind what he's going to do. 
they're in an impossible situation where they've got over 5,000 people to feed. And Jesus poses the question to Philip, and we see his response. Eight months wages? We don't know if they had that money or if they don't. If they had it, he might be saying, that's too much for us to give. We can't afford that. Or if they didn't have it, he's saying, there's no way we could ever do that. Either way, he's saying, we don't have enough. We're under-resourced. We're ill-equipped for this. And then you look at Andrew, and he's got a little bit different, and he says, well, this is what we do have, but it's not going to go very far. But Jesus did this to stretch their faith. And the reason that you don't have to be in, uh, discouraged or frustrated, how many know that from time to time you're going to face a situation where you feel ill-equipped, you feel under-resourced, you might even feel frustrated that God is testing you or trying to stretch your faith. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'd rather just read the miracle than live it. Because <laughs> it's a lot more uncomfortable to live it. But Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. And he will always provide exactly what you need in order to accomplish what he's called you to do. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> Jesus will always give you exactly what you need in order to accomplish what he has called you to do. And here's the thing. I'm not going to health and wealth it here today. I'm not going to tell you that you want a million dollars. Jesus will give you a million dollars. You want a, that great car that you want. Jesus will give you that car. You want a certain degree. Jesus will definitely give you that degree. I'm not going to tell you that today. Less than a year ago, I was in Indonesia, and I met pastors over there and ministry leaders over there who they have a wife and kids, and their home was burned to the ground because of their faith, because they believe in Jesus. And they had to live with family members for a while, and then God called them back to the same village, and they moved back to the same village to share their faith with the people who burned their house down. And now they are seeing people come to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I met other ministry leaders who he drives all the way to the other side of the island every weekend, Friday and Saturday, and comes back on Sunday night on his little scooter bike because in that village they have no one to share the gospel. And here's the thing. I can't health and wealth it for you today. I can't, tell, I can't take the feeding of the 5,000 and say, Jesus is going to give you the miracle that you want. But I can say that Jesus is going to always give you exactly what you need in order to accomplish his will for your life. He's not going to call you to something and then leave you hanging. Mm. He's not going to do it. And that may, that may hit at a lot of different areas. I, I know that hits in our finances. I know I've had times, and I know people in here have had times, and you may be having a time right now. God, I cannot answer your, your command to give because the ends won't meet if I do. Has anyone been there? I've been there. But God is faithful, and he will give enough when we act in faith. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a struggle. God, I don't know how I'm going to love that person, serve that person, forgive that person. I do not have the relational capacity to do what you are calling me to do right now. He will give you exactly what you need to accomplish his will 
what he's called you to do every time. So do not be discouraged today because he gives us the provision that we need. That's the bread that he gives us. I want to move on to my second point, the bread that he is. I have the most unruly notes today. Forgive me. Jesus says something that may go unnoticed to us uh, upon first reading in this chapter, but to the people of his day would have just been mind-shattering. And, and, and it talks about it later in the chapter, the controversy and the rejection that he faced because of his words right here. We don't have time to get into that. I think that's going to be covered uh, next week. But when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, just like there's seven miraculous signs recorded in the book of John, there are also seven I am statements recorded in the book of John, and this is the first one of them. And each one, Jesus is, is, is echoing the name, the Old Testament name for God, for Yahweh. When God first revealed his name to Moses, he said, I am that I am. It's just the simple to be verb. It's ultimate reality. Everything else depends on him being who he is. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is claiming to be equal with God, and he's showing us a part of God's character. That he is the bread that is given to be broken for us and distributed to give us life. So there's something that's assumed in each one of these pictures. We have the manna in the desert. We have the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000 on the mountainside where there's no food. And we have Jesus saying, I'm the true bread from heaven, that if you partake of me, you'll live. What is assumed in all three of those is hunger. What's assumed is hunger. And when they're in the wilderness, they don't have food and Unless God provides, they will die in the wilderness. When Jesus is on the mountainside and 5,000 people come up to hear him teach and they don't have food, they're not, they're not going to have food unless he provides it miraculously through five loaves and two fish. And Jesus is saying the same thing with our souls. He's revealing who he is and that he is the only Bread that will satisfy the hunger of our souls. And I'm saying this for, for the benefit. If you're here and you're a Christian, and if you're here and you don't yet believe, or you don't believe, I'm saying that to you both all alike as well, that Jesus is the only thing that will minister to and satisfy the hunger of our souls. And he gives, it's so beautiful that he gives us this simple of a term. Eugene Peterson talks about how, you know, I just love that Jesus comes and he uses terms that all of us know. He says, I'm the living water. How many of you have ever drank water? Right? You know what that does for you? It's good stuff, right? <laughs> There's not a human being alive that doesn't know what water is. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm going to save you from I'm going to save your soul from sin. He doesn't come up and say, I am the soteriological solution to your existential angst and your metaphysical quandaries. 
You will find life in me if you understand all the words I just said, and it has to be in English. No, he didn't even speak English, right? He comes and says, I am bread. And every one of you and, and me and everyone else that I talked to, if I told them God is the bread for our soul, they would know what I mean. Because we have a hunger in our soul that only God, that only Jesus can satisfy. And the Bible says that that hunger is it's because our souls, we're steeped in sin. Our own sin and the brokenness of people sinning against us. And the only thing that's going to satisfy your soul today is Jesus. And just like he took the bread from the child and he, and he gave thanks and he broke it and distributed it and they all ate. Jesus is the true bread given from heaven. We see the, the giving sacrificial heart of God that he would come himself and let his body be broken on a cross and distributed, as it were, to each of us who would partake of him and find life. And he is our only life. And so I implore you today, if you're here and you have not come to him for life, come to him today. Partake in him today. Align your heart with him today. And don't try to work your way into it, because when they said, what are the works that God requires? He says, to believe on the one he sent. Believe on Jesus today. And the Bible says, Jesus says that you will never go hungry. Those who come to me will never go hungry. Those who believe in me will never thirst. Jesus is the only bread that satisfies our hunger and nourishes our soul. He's the true bread for our souls. And he's the true bread that not just sustains us in this life, but promises us, gives us, eternal life. He says in verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone that looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. You know, he says that phrase four times in this chapter, and I will raise Him up at the last day. It is a promise inherent in the Christian faith that when we come to Jesus, He is giving us the truest form of life that we could ever imagine. Life forever, forever with him. How many are thankful for that? So thankful for that. It's the bread that Jesus is. Satisfies our hunger, nourishes our soul, and quenches our thirst. And my last point is to talk about the bread that we work for. The bread that we work for. Another way I would say it is the first point is talking about the provision that he gives. The second point is talking about the provider himself. And this third point is talking about us, the partakers of that bread, the bread that we work for. Jesus says something in uh, verse 27, do not work for food that spoils or perishes or goes bad. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. We are all, whether we know it or not, striving in our hearts for something that will satisfy us. Something that will, in effect, save us. Whether it's just for the day, 
or whether it's distracting us from our troubles or whatever it is. And if you want to know what that is, there's a lot of things you can do. You can pray to the Holy Spirit to reveal. You can search the scriptures and, and let that reveal it to you. Or sometimes you can just sit in a room, turn off the TV, the computer, the iPad, the iPod, the iTouch, or if you like Android stuff, whatever those are too. There's no music playing. There's no one in the room. When you're not distracted by anything and you're in silence, where does your heart go? What do you think about? What are you anxious about? What keeps you up at night? I would say in a lot of ways that gives us a clue. Where our heart is not at rest gives us a clue about the food that we're working for. And if in those quiet moments, if our heart is looking to anything else other than Jesus to save us, to satisfy our souls, then we are looking to food that will spoil. We are looking to food that will perish. And so... Then we say, okay, well, we're not supposed to work for food that spoils. We're not supposed to put all our striving and our energy and our focus into the things that we think we want that will make us happy. Well, then what do we do? What do we work for? Jesus says to work for eternal life. And then they say, okay, well, what can we work for? And the irony there is that he says the work that God requires is to believe. Isn't that interesting? Because believing, we don't really think that's not really a work, right? We know that we're not going to be saved by our own work, so it's definitely not it's definitely not that Jesus is saying that. But I think it's an irony that in order to believe that he's the only thing that saves, he's the only thing that satisfies, it is a may not be a work on my part, but it's definitely a fight to believe that. Because my default is for the things I can see, the things I can control the relationships, I think, that will make me happy. But in the end, the only one who's going to satisfy our hunger, satisfy our souls today, church, is Jesus himself. His body, and, it's, and, it, and, and that work is believing in his work on the cross. When he goes to the cross and he says, my body is broken, you know, he goes in this chapter, some of the most controversial words that Jesus ever said, and a lot of it's because they, they didn't have the cross. They didn't see that. They didn't know that. They didn't have communion every Sunday where we talk about his body being broken for us. But what he did on the cross was to give us life. Deep down, lasting, eternal life. And I challenge you today to search your heart and to say, what am, I what am I working for most? Where is my heart not at rest most? And then I challenge you to fight to believe that Jesus is the Savior of you in that area. He's the one that's going to rescue. He's the one that's going to satisfy. His life given for you on the cross and his promise to raise you up at the last day is more than enough. Amen? Amen. We don't have to be discouraged. 
because we know that Jesus will always give us exactly what we need in order to accomplish his work that he's called us to do. We don't have to be hungry and roaming around from distraction to distraction because he is the true bread given from heaven. He will forgive us of our sins when we come to him and align ourselves and believe in his work on our behalf. And we don't have to work for food that spoils. Because he's going to give us everything we need and he is more than enough. Amen, church? Mm. All right. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to open it up for a time of communion. Uh, if, you're, if you're here, you're part of New City, you kind of know how to do communion either in, in groups or uh, with your spouse, however you feel led. Um, if you're a guest, if you're a Christian, please partake in communion with us. If you're here and you're not sure if you believe, you're still welcome to come up and just kind of see people proclaiming the cross to one another and see, just kind of get a glimpse in on what this is all about. Please don't feel awkward or um, uh, left out in any way. And, um, and also, I'll be available to talk with anyone if you want prayer or, or anything like that. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Jesus, we thank you so much that we have your words, or that your word speaks to us, and that your word changes us. And Lord, even though, even though I'm fallible, and even though I mess up and say things that, that maybe get in the way of someone's understanding, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would redeem. I pray that you would speak to people still in this message. Lord, that you would illuminate your word to us. God, I pray that we would come to you today and believe in you as the bread of life. Jesus, I pray for anyone here today who is anxious and frustrated and maybe even angry with you because of the situation that they're in right now, that they would know that they can rest and be encouraged because you know what you're going to do. You already have in mind what you're going to do. You are stretching their faith to find you more and more satisfying, God to find this bread of life more and more tasteful, tasty, and satisfying that fills our hunger, meets our need, Lord. I thank you so much for that. Be with us in these next few moments as we remember uh, the cross and we remember your love for us. We thank you in Jesus' name.